Hey everyone, it's Miss Felicia J here and welcome to Love Life and a Beautiful Glass of Red Wine. This is the chapter by chapter episode. I started this podcast because of my sons and the questions that they asked me and the profound conversations that ensued. I wanted to broaden their minds and so I gave them some books to read and while they were interested, they didn't really read them and so chapter by chapter was born. So here I am reading the books that I feel will inspire my sons, the rest of my children, you, and of course myself. If you have a suggestion, email me at chapterbychapter256 at gmail.com and I will put it on the reading list. This episode, we are reading The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho and we are currently on, I'm sorry, page 82. So before we start to read, let's not forget to pour our favorite drink because I think reading with your favorite drink is just so much more fun all right darlings here we go page 82 of the alchemist they were strange books they spoke about mercury salt dragons and kings and he didn't understand any of it But there was one idea that seemed to repeat itself throughout all the books. All things are the manifestation of only one thing. In one of the books, he learned that the most important text in the literature of alchemy contained only a few lines and had been inscribed on the surface of an emerald. It's the emerald tablet, said the Englishman, proud that he might teach something to the boy. Well, then why do we need all these books, the boy asked. So that we can understand those few lines, the Englishman answered without appearing really to believe what he had said. The book that most interested the boy told the stories of the famous alchemists. They were men who had dedicated their entire lives to the purification of metals in their laboratories. They believed that if a metal were heated for many years, it would free itself of all its individual properties, and what was left would be the soul of the world. This soul of the world allowed them to understand anything on the face of the earth because it was the language with which all things communicated. They called that discovery the master work. It was part liquid and part solid. Can you just observe men and omens in order to understand the language, the boy asked? You have a mania for simplifying everything, answered the Englishman, irritated. Alchemy is a serious discipline. Every step has to be followed exactly as it was followed by the masters. The boy learned that the liquid part of the master work was called the elixir of life, and that it cured all illnesses. It also kept the alchemist from growing old, and the solid part was called the philosopher's stone. It's not easy to find the philosopher's stone, said the Englishman. The alchemist spent years in their laboratories observing the fire that purifies the metals. They spent so much time close to the fire that that gradually they gave up the vanities of the world. They discovered that the purification of the metals had led to a purification of themselves. The boy thought about the crystal merchant. He had said that it was a good thing for the boy to clean the crystal pieces so that he could free himself from negative thoughts. The boy was becoming more and more convinced that alchemy could be learned in one's daily life. Also, said the Englishman, the Philosopher's Stone has a fascinating property. A small sliver of the stone can transform large quantities of metal into gold. Having heard that, the boy became more interested in alchemy. He thought that, with some patience, he'd be able to transform everything into gold. 
He read the lives of various people who had succeeded in doing so, Helvetius, Elias, Fulconli, and Gerber. They were fascinating stories. Each of them lived out his personal legend to the end. They traveled, spoke with wise men, performed miracles for the incredulous, and owned the Philosopher's Stone and the Elixir of Life. But when the boy wanted to learn how to achieve the master work, he became completely lost. They were just drawings, quoted instructions, and obscure texts. Why do they make things so complicated, he asked the Englishman one night. The boy had noticed that the Englishman was irritable and missed his books. So that those who have the responsibility for understanding can understand, he said. Imagine if everyone went around transforming lead into gold. Gold would lose its value. It's only those who are persistent and willing to study things deeply who achieve the master work. That's why I'm here, in the middle of the desert. I'm seeking a true alchemist who will help me to decipher the codes. When were these books written, the boy asked. Many centuries ago. They didn't have the printing press in those days, the boy argued. There was no way for, any, for everyone to know about alchemy. Why did they use such strange language with so many drawings? The Englishman didn't answer him directly. He said that for the past few days, he had been paying attention to how the caravan operated, but that he hadn't learned anything new. The only thing he had noticed was that the talk of war was becoming more and more frequent. Then one day, the boy returned the books to the Englishman. Did you learn anything? The Englishman asked, eager to hear what it might be. He needed someone to talk to so as to avoid talking about the possibility of war. I learned that the world has a soul, and that whoever understands that soul can also understand the language of things. I learned that many alchemists realized their personal legends, and wound up discovering the soul of the world, the philosopher's stone, and the elixir of life. But above all, I learned that these things are all so simple that they could be written on the surface of an emerald. The Englishman was disappointed. The years of research, the magic symbols, the strange words, and the laboratory equipment, none of this had made an impression on the boy. His soul must be too primitive to understand these things. those things, he thought. He took back his books and packed them away again in their bags. He walked back to watch the caravan. To, sorry, he went to go back to watching the caravan, he said. That didn't teach me anything either. The boy went back to contemplating the silence of the desert and the sand raised by the animals. Everyone has his or own way of learning things, he said to himself. His way isn't the same as mine, nor mine is his, but we're both in search of our personal legends, and I respect him for that. The caravan began to travel day and night. The hooded Bedouins reappeared more and more frequently, and the camel driver, who had become a good friend of the boys, explained that the war between the tribes had already begun. The caravan would be very lucky to reach the oasis. The animals were exhausted, and the men talked among, amongst themselves less and less. The silence was the worst aspect of the night. When the mere groan of a camel, which, had, which before had been nothing but the groan of a camel, now frightened everyone because it might signal a raid. The camel driver, though, seemed not to be very concerned with the threat of war. I'm alive, he said to the boy, as they ate a bunch of dates one night with no fires and no moon. When I'm eating, that's all I think about. If I'm on the march, I just concentrate on marching. If I have to fight, it will be just as good a day to die as any other. Because I don't live in either my past or my future, I'm only interested in the present. 
If you can concentrate always on the present, you'll be a happy man. You'll see that there is life in the desert, that there are stars in the heavens, and that tribesmen fight because they are part of the human race. Life will be a party for you, a grand festival, because life is at the moment we are living now. Two nights later, as he was getting ready to bed down, the boy looked for the star they followed every night. He thought that the horizon was a bit lower than it had been, because he seemed to see the stars on the desert itself. It's the oasis, said the camel driver. Well, why don't we go there right now, the boy asked, because we have to sleep. The boy awoke as the sun rose. There in front of him, where the small stars had been the night before, was an endless row of date plums stretching across the entire desert. We've done it, said the Englishman, who had also awakened early. The boy was the boy was quiet. He was at home with the silence of the desert, and he was content just to look at the trees. He still had a long way to go to reach the pyramids, and some day this morning would be a mem just a memory. But this was the present moment, the party the camel driver had mentioned and he wanted to live it as he did, the lessons of his past and his dreams of the future. Although the vision of the date plums would someday just be a memory, right now it signified shade, water, and a refuge from the war. Yesterday's the camel's groan signaled, sorry, yesterday the camel's groan signaled danger, and now a row of date plums would herald a miracle. The world speaks many languages, the boys thought. The, time rush, the times rush past, and so do the caravans, thought the alchemist, as he watched the hundreds of people and animals arriving at the oasis. People were shouting at the new arrivals. Dust obscured the desert sun, and the children of the oasis, oasis were bursting with excitement at the arrival of the strangers. The alchemist saw the tribal chiefs greet the leader of the caravan and the converse with him and converse with him at length. But none of that mattered to the alchemist. He had already seen many people come and go, and the desert remained as it was. He had seen kings and beggars walking the desert sand. The dunes were changed constantly by the wind, yet there were the same sands he had known since he was a child. He always enjoyed seeing the happiness that the travelers experienced, travelers experienced when, after weeks of yellow sand and blue sky, they saw the first green of the date palms. Maybe God created the desert so that man could appreciate the date trees, he thought. He decided to concentrate on more practical matters. He knew that in the caravan there was a man to whom he was to teach some of his secrets. The omens had told him so. He didn't know the man yet, but his practiced eye would recognize him when he appeared. He hoped it would be someone capable, as capable as his previous apprentice. I don't know why these things have to be transmitted by word of mouth, he thought. It wasn't exactly that they were secrets. God revealed his secrets easily to all his creatures. He had only one explanation for this fact. Things have to be transmitted this way because they were made up of, they were made up from the pure life, and this kind of life cannot be captured in pictures or words. People become fascinated with pictures and words and wind up forgetting the language of the world. The boy couldn't believe what he was seeing. The oasis, rather than just being a well surrounded by a few palm trees, as he had seen once in a geography book, was much larger than many towns back in Spain. There were 300 wells, 50,000 date trees, and innumerable, 
innumerable colored tents spread among them. It looked like a thousand and one nights, said the Englishman, impatient to meet with the alchemist. They were surrounded by children, curious to look at the animals and people that were arriving. The men of the oasis wanted to know if they had seen any fighting, and the women competed with one another for access to the cloth and precious stones brought by the merchants. The silence of the desert was a distant dream. The travelers in the caravan were talking incessantly, laughing and shouting, as if they had emerged from the spiritual world and found themselves once again in the world of people. They were relieved and happy. They had been taking careful precautions in the desert, but the camel driver explained to the boy that oases are always considered to be neutral territories, because this, because the majority of the inhabitants were women and children. There were oases throughout the desert, but the tribesmen fought in the desert, leaving the oases as places of refuge. With some difficulty, the leader of the caravan brought all his people together and gave them his instructions. The group was to remain there at the oasis until the conflict between the tribes was over. Since they were visitors, they would have to share living space with those who lived there and would be given the best accommodations. That was the law of hospitality. Then he asked that everyone, including his own sentinels, hand over their arms to the men appointed by the tribal chieftains. Those are the rules of war, the leader explained. The oasises may not shelter armies or troops. To the boy's surprise, the Englishman took a gold, uh, sorry, took a chrome-plated revolver out of his bag and gave it to the men who were collecting the arms. Why a revolver, he asked. It helped me to trust in people, the Englishman answered. Meanwhile, the boy thought about his treasure. The closer we got to the realization of his dream, the more difficult things became. It seemed as if what the old king had called beginner's luck were no longer, in func were no longer functioning. In his pursuit of, his, of the dream, he was being constantly subjected to tests of his persistence and courage, so he could not be hasty nor impatient. If he pushed forward impulsively, he would fail to see the signs and omens left by, the, by God along his path. God placed them along my path. He had surprised himself with the thought. Until then, he had considered the omens to be things of this world, like eating or sleeping, or like seeking love or finding a job. He had never thought of them in terms of, a, in terms of a language used by a God to indicate what he should do. Don't be impatient, he repeated to himself. It's like the camel driver said, eat when it's time to eat and move along when it's time to move along. That first day, everyone slept from exhaustion, including the Englishman. The boy was assigned a place far from his friend, in a tent with five other young men of about his age. They were people of the desert and clamored to hear, hear his stories about, great, about the great cities. The boy told them about his life as a shepherd and was about to tell them of his experiences at the crystal shop when the Englishman came into the tent. I've been looking for you all morning, he said, as he led the boy outside. I need you to help me find out where the alchemist lives. First they tried to find him on their own. An alchemist would probably live in a manner that was different from the rest of the people at the oasis, and it was likely that in his tent an oven was continuously burning. They searched everywhere, and found that the oasis was much longer than, larger than they had imagined. There were hundreds of tents. We've wasted almost the entire day, said the Englishman, sitting down with the boy near one of the wells. Maybe we'd better ask someone, the boy suggested. The Englishman didn't want to tell others about his reasons for being at the oasis, and couldn't make up his mind. But, finally he agreed, 
that the boy, who spoke better Arabic than he, should do so. The boy approached a woman who had come to the well to fill a goatskin with water. Good afternoon, ma'am. I'm trying to find out where the alchemist lives here at the oasis. The woman said she had never heard of such a person and hurried away. But before she fled, she advised the boy that he better not try to converse with women who were dressed in black because they were married women. He should respect the tradition. The English man was disappointed. It seemed that he had made the long journey for nothing. The boy also sound saddened. His friend was in pursuit of his personal legend. And when someone was in such a pursuit, the entire universe made an effort to help him succeed. That's what the old king had said. He couldn't have been wrong. I had never heard of alchemists before, the boy said. Maybe no one here has either. The Englishman, Englishman's eyes lit up. That's it. Maybe no one knows what an alchemist is. Find out who it is who cures the people's illnesses. Several women dressed in black came to the well for water, but the boy would speak to none of them, despite the Englishman's insistence. Then a man approached. Do you know someone here who kills people's illnesses? The boy asked. Allah cures our illnesses, said the man, clearly frightened of the strangers. You're looking for witch doctors. He spoke some verses from the Quran and left. Another man appeared. He was older and was carrying a small bucket. The boy repeated his questions. Why do you want to find that sort of person? The Arab asked. Because my friend here has traveled for many months in order to meet with him, the boy said. If such a man is here at the Oasis, he must be the very powerful one said the old man after thinking for a few, mo after a few moments. Not even the tribal chieftains are able to see him when they want to, only when he consents. Wait for the end of the war, then leave with the caravan. Don't try to enter into the life of the oasis, he said, and walked away. But the Englishman was exuberant. They were on the right track. Finally, a young woman approached who was not dressed in black. She had a vessel on her shoulder and her head was covered by a veil, but her face was uncovered. The boy approached her to ask about the alchemist. At the moment it seemed to him that time stood still and the soul of the world surged within within him. When he looked into her dark eyes and saw that her, eye, that her lips were poised between a laugh and silence, he learned the most important part of the language that all the world spoke, the language that everyone on earth was capable of understanding in their heart. It was love, something older than humanity, more ancient than the desert something that exerted the same force whenever two pairs of eyes met, as had theirs here at the well. She smiled, and that was certainly an omen, the omen he had been awaiting, without even knowing he was, for all his life. The omen he had sought to find with his sheep and in his books and the crystals and in the silence of the desert. It was the pure language of the world. It required no explanation, just as the universe needs none as it travels through endless time. What the boy felt at that moment was that he was in the presence of the only woman in his life, and that with no need for words she recognized the same thing. He was more certain of it than, any, than of anything in the world. He had been told by his parents and grandparents that he must fall in love and really know a person before becoming committed. But maybe people who felt that way had never learned the universal language. Because when you know that language, it's easy to understand that someone in the world awaits you whether it's in the middle of the desert or in some great city. And when two such people encounter each other and their eyes meet, the past and the future become unimportant. There was only that moment, 
and the incredible certainty that everything under the sun has been written by only one hand, sorry, by one hand only. It is the hand that evokes love and creates a twin soul for every person in the world. Without such love, one's dreams would have no meaning. Maktoub, thought the boy. The Englishman shook the boy. Come on, ask her. The boy stepped closer to the girl, and when, and when she smiled, he did the same. What's your name, he asked. Fatima, the girl said, averting her eyes. That's what some women in my country are called. It's the name of the prophet's daughter, Fatima said. The invaders carry the name everywhere. The beautiful girl spoke of the invaders with pride. The Englishman prodded him, and the boy asked her about the man who cured people's illnesses. That's the man who knows all the secrets of the world, she said. He communicates with the genies of the desert. The genies were the spirits of good and evil, and the girl pointed to the south, indicating that it was there the strange man lived. Then she filled her vessel with water and left. The Englishman vanished, too, gone to find the alchemist, and the boy sat there by the well for a long time, remembering that one day in Tarifa, the Levanter had brought him, brought to him the perfume of that woman, and realizing that he had loved her before, he even knew she existed. He knew that his love for her would enable him to discover every treasure of the world. The next day the boy returned to the well, hoping to see the girl. To his surprise, the Englishman was there, looking out at the desert. I waited all afternoon and evening, he said. He appeared with the first stars of the evening. I told him what I was seeking, and he asked me if I had ever transformed lead into gold. I told him that that was what I had come here to learn. He told me I should try to do so. That's all he said. Go and try. The boy didn't say anything. The poor Englishman had traveled all this way, only, only to be told he should repeat what he had already done so many times. So then try, he said to the Englishman. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start now. As the Englishman left, Fatima arrived and filled her vessel with water. I came to tell you just one thing, the boy said. I want you to be my wife. I love you. The girl dropped the container and the water spilled. I'm going to wait here for you every day. I have crossed the desert in search of a treasure that is somewhere near the pyramids. And for me, the war, se the war seemed a curse, but now it's a blessing because it brought me to you. The war is going to end someday, the girl said. The boy looked around him at the date palms. He reminded himself that he had been a shepherd and that he could be a shepherd again. Fatima was more important than his treasure. The tribesmen are always in search of treasure, the girl said, as if she had guessed what he was thinking. And the women of the desert are proud of their tribesmen. She refilled her vessel and left. The boy went to the well every day to meet with Fatima. He told her about his life as a shepherd, about the king, and about the crystal shop. They became friends, and except for the 15 minutes he spent with her each day, sorry, and except for the 15 minutes he spent with her, each day seemed like it would never pass. When he had been at the oasis for almost a month, the leader of the caravan called a meeting of all the people traveling with him. We don't know when the war will end, so we can't continue our journey, he said. The battles may last for a long time, perhaps even years. There are powerful forces on both sides, and the war is important to both armies. It's not a battle of good against evil. It's a war between forces that are fighting for the balance of power. And when that type of battle begins, it lasts longer than, other, lasts longer than others, because Allah is on both sides.
The people went back to where they were living, and the boy went to meet with Fatima that afternoon. He told her about the morning's meeting. The day after we met, Fatima said, you told me that you loved me. Then you taught me something of the universal language and of the soul of the world. Because of that, I have become a part of you. The boy listened to the sound of her voice and thought it was more beautiful than the sound of the wind in the date palms. I've been waiting for you here at the Oasis for a long time. I have forgotten about my past, about my traditions, and the way in which men of the desert expect women to behave. Ever since I was a child, I have dreamed that the desert would bring me a wonderful present. Now my present has arrived, and it's you. Sorry about that pause, you guys. I hit mute by accident. Here we go. The boy wanted to take her hand, but Fatima's hands held to the ja handles of her jug. You have told me about your dreams, about the old king and your treasure, and you've told me about omens, so now I fear nothing. Because it was those omens that brought you to me, and I am part of your dream, a part of your personal legend, as you call it. That's why I want you to continue toward your goal. If you have to wait until the war is over, then wait. But if you have to go before then, go on in pursuit of your dream. The dunes are changed by the wind, but the desert never changes. That's the way it will be with our love for each other. Maktoub, she said. If I am really part of your dream, you'll come back one day. The boy was sad as he left her that day. He thought of all the married shepherds he had known. They had a difficult time convincing their wives that they had to go off into distant fields. Love required them to stay with the people they loved. He told Fatima that at their next meeting. The desert takes our men from us, and they don't always return, she said. We know that, and we're used to it. Those who don't return become a part of the clouds, a part of the animals that hide in the ravines and of the water that comes from the earth. They become a part of everything. They become part. They become the soul of the world. So do come back, and then the other women some do come back, and then the other women are happy because they believe that their men may one day return as well. I used to look at those women and envy them their happiness. Now I too will be one of those women who wait. I'm a desert woman, and I'm proud of that. I want my husband to wander as free as the wind that shapes the dunes. And if I have to, I will accept the fact that he has become a part of the clouds and the animals and the water of the desert. The boy went to look for the Englishman. He wanted to tell, about, tell him about Fatima. He was surprised when he saw that the Englishman had built himself a furnace outside his tent. It was a strange furnace, fueled by firewood with a transparent flask heating on top. As the Englishman stared out at the desert, his eyes seemed brighter than, than they had when he was reading his books. This is the first phase of the job, he said. I have to separate out the sulfur. To do that successfully, I must have no fear of failure. It was my fear of failure, failure that first kept me from attempting the masterwork. Now I'm beginning what I should, could have started ten years ago. But I'm happy at least that I didn't wait twenty years. He continued to feed the fire. And the boy stayed on until the desert tur turned pink in the... Sorry. And the boy stayed on until the desert turned pink in the setting sun. He felt the urge to go out into the desert to see if its silence held answers to his questions. He wandered for a while, keeping the date palms of the oasis within sight. He listened to the wind and felt the stones between, beneath his feet. Here and there he found a shell and realized that the desert in remote times 
and realized that the desert in remote times had been a sea. He sat on a stone and allowed himself to become hypnotized by the horizon. He tried to deal with the concept of love as, a dist as distinct from possession and couldn't separate them. But Fatima was a woman of the desert. And if anything could help him understand, it was the desert. As he sat there thinking, he sensed movement above him. Looking up, he saw a pair of hawks flying high in the sky. He watched the hawks as they drifted on the wind. Although their flight appeared to have no pattern, it made a certain kind of sense to the boy. It was just that he couldn't grasp what it meant. He followed the movement of the birds, trying to read something into it. Maybe these desert's birds could explain to him the meaning of love without ownership. He felt sleepy. In his heart, he wanted to remain awake, but he also wanted to sleep. I am learning the language of the world and of everything in the world, and everything in the world is beginning to make sense to me. Even the flight of the hawks, he said to himself. And in that mood, he was grateful to be in love. When you're in love, things make even more sense, he thought. Suddenly, one of the hawks made a flashing dive through the sky, attacking the other. As it did so, a sudden fleeting image came to the boy, an army with its swords at the ready, riding into the oasis. The, vinish, the vision vanished immediately. It had shaken him. He had heard people speak of, the, of mirages and had already seen some himself. They were desires that, because of their intensity, materialized over the sands of the desert. But he certainly didn't desire that an army invade the oasis. He wanted to forget about the vision and return to his meditation. He tried again to concentrate on the pink shades of the desert and its stones. But there was something in his heart that wouldn't allow him to do so. Always heed the omens, the old king had said. The boy recalled what he had seen in the vision and sensed that it was actually going to occur. He rose and made his way back toward the palm trees. Once again, he perceived the many languages of the things about him. This time, the desert was safe, and it was the oasis that had become dangerous. The camel driver was seated at the base of a palm tree, observing the sunset. He saw the boy appear from the other side of the dunes. An army is coming, the boy said. I had a vision. The desert fills men's hearts with visions, the camel driver answered. But the boy told him about the hawks that he had been watching their flight and had suddenly felt himself to have plunged to the soul of the world. The camel driver understood what the boy was saying. He knew that any given thing on the face of the earth could reveal the history of all things. One could open a book to any page or look at a person's hand. One could turn a card or watch the flight of the birds. Whatever the thing observed, one could find a connection with his experience of the moment. Actually, it wasn't those things in themselves revealed anything. It wasn't that those things in themselves revealed, revealed anything at all. It was just that people looking at what was occurring around them could find means of penetration to the soul of the world. The desert was full of men who earned their living based on the ease with which they could penetrate to the soul of the world. They were known as seers, and they were held in fear by women and the elderly. Tribesmen were also wary of consulting them because it would be impossible to be effective in battle if one knew that he was fated to die. The tribesmen preferred the taste of battle and the thrill of not knowing what the outcome would be. The future was already written by Allah and what he had written was always for the good of man. So the tribesmen lived only for the present because the present was full of surprises and they had to be aware of many things. Where was the enemy's sword? Where was his horse? What kind of blow should one deliver next in order to remain alive? The camel driver was not a fighter, and he had consulted with seers. Many of them had been right about what they said, while some had been wrong.
Then one day, the oldest seer he had ever sought out, and the one most to be feared, had asked why the camel driver was so interested in the future. Well, so I can do things, he had responded, and so I can change those things that I don't want to happen. But then they wouldn't be part of your future, the seer had said. Well, maybe I just want to know the future so I can prepare myself for what is coming. If good things are coming, they will be a pleasant surprise, he said the seer. Sorry, if bad things are and you know in advance, you will suffer greatly before they even occur. I want to know about the future because I am a man, the camel driver had said to the seer, and men always live their lives based on the future. The seer was a specialist in casting of twigs. He threw them on the ground and made interpretations based on how they fell. That day, he didn't make a cast. He wrapped the twigs in a piece of cloth and put them back in his bag. I make my living forecasting the future for people, he said. I know the science of twigs, and I know how to use them to penetrate to the place where all is written. There I can read the past, discover what has already been forgotten, and understand the omens that are here in the present. When people consult me, it's not that I am reading the future. I am guessing at the future. The future belongs to God, and it is only He who reveals it under extraordinary circumstances. How do I guess at the future? Based on the omens of the present. The secret is here in the present. If you pay attention to the present, you can improve upon it. And if you improve upon the pre present, what comes later will also be better. Forget about the future and live each day according to the teachings, the teachings. confident that God loves his children each day in and of its, in and in itself brings with it an eternity. The camel driver had asked what circumstances, what the circumstances were under which God would allow him to travel to the future. Only when he himself reveals it, and God only rarely reveals the future. When he does so, it is only for one reason. It's a future that was written so as to be altered. God had known the boy a part, shown the boy a part of the future, the camel driver thought. Why it was it that he wanted the boy to serve as his instrument? Go and speak to the tribal chieftain, said the camel driver. Tell them about the armies that are approaching. They'll laugh at me. They are the men of the desert, and the men of the desert are used to dealing with omens. Well, then they probably already know. They're not concerned with that right now. They believe that if they have to know something Allah wants them to know, someone will tell them about it. It has happened many times before, but this time the person is you. The boy thought of Fatima, and he decided he would go see the chief of the tribes. Well, that is all. That is the end um, that I've read up to page 107 um, of The Alchemist. I trust that it has broadened your mind, inspired your thoughts or conversation, changed your world or entertained you. Whatever it has done for you, I trust that it has served you. And remember, everyone, that your flame, your fire, will always burn. Lighting someone else's fire will never diminish yours. It will only create a larger fire. I have so enjoyed reading The Alchemist with you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Tune into the next episode um, for the next pages of this book. Have a great day and a great week. Take care of yourself and each other. Until next time, be well.